Hi, everyone, and welcome to Back on the Bus podcast. Well, here we are. Uh, what is this week now? It's uh, 23rd, Friday, April. I'm amazed at how the summer's rolling around super quick. And uh, Ryan, you and I have been heading out doing some biking. What have you been up to this past week, bud? Yeah, well, we uh, we went out and put out a pretty good day of biking out oh, your way. Yeah. Went to um, certain We got a cooker of a uh, week. The weather's been been uh, stunning here in BC. Oh, man. So, uh, went from 12 degrees to 27 degrees, just like this. Freaking awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I did like, I was out last night at mountain bike lap just up from the house and it's like summer conditions. It's, you can just, you know, the ground, it's it's crazy. It's already, uh, we're up for some rain maybe coming in the next couple of days. It's really good. Dusty. But yeah. Dusty it's in crazy. April. Well, that, uh, yeah. you know, that ride we did um, out in the Fraser Valley, it got us to thinking. We uh, we rode a ton of gravel. We rode some single track trails up on uh, Sumas Mountain and Ledgeview. And we put together a really nice little loop that, uh, you know, got us thinking that uh, with tough tours, uh, it would be great to get some people out and do some one-day trips out here in the valley. You know, with the, the way COVID's evolving again, I think it could be fantastic. So we're going to start working on putting some trips together on the weekends, uh, one-day trips, Saturday and Sunday. Come and do a loop out in the in the valley, and we're going to try and work with some partners to have a start point, end point, where we uh, can, you know, have some good food, have some good drinks. And uh, so keep posted on that. And uh We'll let you know through um, through the podcast and through our, our website when uh, when that starts to happen. But uh, we're, we're definitely looking forward to that. This podcast, we have a, a very interesting guest, I think, Rob Britton. He's, uh, he's a friend of ours. We rode with him on uh, rally cycling. Ryan, I think you've spent more years riding with Rob than I have, and you probably know a lot more stories. But he's, he's, a, he's a very interesting character. Eh? I, I think one of the things you brought up was um, – there was a time he was re- working on some cruise ships. What was that story? Yeah, the guy, like, so Rob's just been, you know, we'll get into it. He's just the grinder, hardworking. And when he was, like, trying to make it make it work, he was working, like, when they did those repositioning uh, boats out of Victoria for, like, the cruises. And the guy would be working all day, swinging a hammer, you know, working on the whatever they do, the remodeling. And then he'd bring his trainer on the on the boat to do the to, to get in the rides plus the work so he's trying to make uh make enough cash to make the bike season go and then uh can you imagine though the guys he was been working with on the on these boats it's just like because this guy's brought his fitness trainer to stay in shape it's like it's oh. it's just crazy the guys <laughs> they'd be looking at oh, him he's like worked he's so totally, hard totally nuts yeah yeah well, i think it's it's safe to say that that rob is is probably the hardest working man in canadian cycling and uh i think that's you know anyone who's worked with him or been on a team with him will will flat out tell you that that's the case so yeah sit back everyone enjoy this one uh it's uh it's a good look into rob and the in the kind of person that he is so we hope you enjoy this one we certainly did well welcome rob Britton. man you're a guy randy and i have come across over the years many times riding on teams racing against you i think back to uh some of the things that stand out for me and and something i uh tell a lot of the young kids i use you always as an example of a guy who's who's done the work you just kept pushing putting your head down i've seen you a lot of moments where i think things were pretty tough you know yeah you're just one of those hard working guys and i think 
maybe there was a period in your life where a lot of people were telling you, oh, maybe, you know, maybe you're thinking about doing other things and you just kept putting your head down and, and doing the work. And you've, you've come a long way, man. In that period, there's been, uh, I'm sure there's a ton of stories that uh, we're, we're super excited to hear. But maybe before we launch into that, uh, let's just get a rundown of where you've been. It's, it sounds like a pretty crazy run. You're... Um, your time in Turkey and and uh, your your first uh, world tour race of the year, which uh, tour Catalonia, uh, very very insane race. So yeah, give us a rundown of this how this season's gone for you and and uh, what you're looking forward to next. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, stoked to be chatting with you guys. Um, it's a nice sort of reconnection to back home. But uh, yeah, so came over here um, mid January. And then I guess there was sort of a bunch of cancellations slash things that were postponed. So initially we were supposed to start racing, I think, mid-February and that got moved. So our first race was just like Valenciana, Tour for Algarve, things like this. And then it turned into Volta Catalunya was the first race. I didn't know this and it was sort of like kind of, I don't know, it's like the world tour's best kept secret. And it's the freaking hardest race in the world tour and no one even talks about it. You see it, you're like, oh yeah, there's groups of 70. It can't be that hard. It's like, oh, Valter 2000 or, or whatever. It's like, that can't be that hard. It must be like, what is like Mount Lemon, like 5%. Like, it's no big deal. Nice, like, great. And yeah, then you not a good path like, at all. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, and then you realize, like, as you get closer, people are like, oh yeah, this is like one of the hardest races in the world. Too. Like, it's not like Pyrenees or like the Dauphiné, but like this one is like, it's hard as hell. And you're like, oh, okay. And then as you get closer and closer, it's like, oh, it's because the best climbers in the world are there. That's why there's groups of 70. It's the best, skinniest freaking guys ever. Like, at least other <laughs> stage right. races have, like, the sprint stages. So you have, like, at least some teams go there with that idea. So you have, like, a balanced roster. It's like people get dropped going into climbs. But here, it was just me getting dropped. So I didn't have any friends to hang out with. I was just I'm looking around. So and when when oh. you start calling Gruppetto, it's just you. And people are looking like, yeah, they're actually in the middle of eating a cliff bar. And they're kind of looking at you like, oh, what's this guy's problem, you know? <laughs> oh no it must have a it's, bug it's, no it's a new world tour no one calls Gruppetto anymore they just everyone's there to kill you it's everyone's just life or death good. every day yeah yeah no no one has bad days bad days is just not as good as the best day so yeah that was pretty awful it was the hardest race I've ever done on every metric in my life and I went into it with like pretty good form I wasn't like light but other than that like it was it wasn't bad. And then, so I came out of that in a body bag, but I finished, which like, that was my marathon and I finished and boy, howdy, like it took me like a week to get back, but I felt really good. I'm like, okay, this is great. And apparently, yeah, Catalonia was so hard. It actually broke my immune system because <laughs> <laughs> a week or 10 days after Catalonia, I started to get this headache and I was like, oh, this is weird. Like, A, I don't really get headaches and B, this one feels really strange, but I just chalked it up to like anything other than what it was. And like, <laughs> I'm like, do I have like a tumor? What is going on? Like this headache isn't going away. Tylenol's not fixing it. Like it's like, oh, I flu, I have allergies, whatever. And then I had this like little bit of rash show up in my forehead. In the meantime, like our bikes didn't show up to Turkey. It's snowing. All this other stuff is happening. I'm not really sleeping. Oh, that's also helping the immune system, right? That, that kind of stuff. Oh, yes. There's a lot of bonuses. I mean, system was getting a good ride at this point. So yeah, Turkey's first stage got like canceled and then like, no, no, we're going to move it down. We're going to do a partial version of stage two is stage one. So we did this like three and a half hour drive in the snow. Somehow it didn't crash. And then as I'm driving, I'm like doing what you should never do if you're sick. To anybody listening, WebMD is not your friend. Just go to a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> That place like, you're dead. Uh, I'm like, I'm if going you like dead the results, then you then you start looking up that yeah. kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm going through and like kind of like 
typing in like my symptoms and stuff. At a certain point, I'm like, I messaged Ricky, like my uh, fiance, she's a medical resident, knows her a thing or two about medicine, certainly big words. And I just remember typing in like, do I have fucking shingles? Sorry, I don't know if I can say that, but it was, it was pretty, that was word for word what it was. And I was very serious about it. And I'm like freaking out. I still have two hours to drive. Like my head's pounding. And uh, sure enough, like we get there. And right as I, we arrived at the hotel, like at this point, like the pain in my head is like a nine out of 10. It's pretty excruciating. Yeah, she calls me and she's like, I think you might. Like Then I talked to our team doc. He confirmed it. And that was pretty brutal. And then you didn't like, they didn't really know what to expect per se. So they're just like, oh, well, we'll try to figure this out, blah, blah, blah. Like, but you need to be able to, like get on antivirals as soon as you can. At nine o'clock at night, our super swanier, Jose, like, I mean, you guys have both know, like, worked in the Legend. Oh, Legend. Like, this guy. The best. Like, he, he, he does things that just aren't possible. And he's just like, oh, yeah, that's no problem. Nine o'clock at night in, like, a town in Turkey, like, during a quarantine, I'm like, hey, man, I need to get these antivirals. Here's a prescription. Like, I need to get them as soon as I can, thinking, like, you know, tomorrow's Sunday, like, fuck, if I can get them by the end of the race tomorrow, that'd be insane. Like, every hour is pretty important. Catch this. And it's like, okay, I get this to you. Don't worry. And I'm like, thanks, man. It's like, you get them tonight. And I'm like, I mean, like, I understand. It's like, we're in the middle. Like, whenever it is possible, thank you. It's like, don't worry, man. I make things happen. And sure enough, by 11 o'clock that night, less than, like, 12 hours, basically, after, like, seeing the first sign of, like, the rash, I was, like, taking antivirals. I'm getting better now. And that, that's everything I've read is, like, that's the biggest reason why is because I was on the meds as quickly as I was. So yeah, pretty much took me off the bike for, I was part of the first stage, which we won, which was sweet. Yeah, took me off the bike for a week. And then now it's been basically another week of just like one to two hours, just like with, we've got like the whoop um, band now. And I use the aura ring as well. And I've just seen like, you know, either elevated body temperature, like through the floor, HRV or like elevated resting heart rate each night. So the body is just like out of sorts anytime I go over two hours. So it's wow. kind of, it's nice having all that like tech to kind of tell you like, cause I feel okay other than this like splitting headache I have most of the day, but just kind of like reaffirm like, yeah, you're not healthy yet. You, you shared a picture with uh, Randy and I, and it was, I mean, it was pretty incredible. I never really knew the extent of what shingles does to a guy, but that was insane. You reminded me of that guy from Goonies. Your, your face <laughs> was so puffy. That, and I was just curious, how long did that take to, um, to kind of come down? Like that, that seemed really crazy. Crazy to uh, me. Dude. Your eye was basically closed over. Yeah, it was. Um, and it was like, I remember, so we did stage one. I was, it was getting swollen, but it wasn't bad. And then that night, uh, I registered a body temperature like over three degrees up, like three degrees Celsius. So it's obviously a massive fever, which explained like I was losing my mind. So that was Sunday. And by Wednesday... I couldn't see out my of my uh, left eye. It was completely. It was like I got stung by a bee with like a pretty severe like allergy to it, or I got punched in the face by I don't know someone who can punch art. Like it was Jesus. just like, yeah, I was just shut. But then I flew home like and then it was much better by Friday. But it's still like felt bad for like going to like the buffet. Like it's not like a communicable disease or whatever. Like spread from person to person. It's like it's chicken box like reincarnated as like you know, an adult version of hell. Okay. So that's all it is. is, is I guess like, I guess if you haven't had chicken pox, if I, when there's like a period, if you have open wounds, like, which I never had, but like these, they kind of form these like know, blisters that that can cause it for other people. But you kind of have to like rub them with it. So it was rubbing my face on too many people. So <laughs> it was, it was yeah. pretty safe, but uh, yeah, it was, it was brutal. I felt bad going to like the dinner and stuff. Cause like, you know, you got the one eyed monster just like walking well, around in these times as well. People are a little more sensitive, right? <laughs> oh yeah. No, I got asked if I had COVID <laughs> Talk to the, the, uh, the race medical staff and they're like, okay, have you had a COVID test? I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. I've had a lot, I've had lots of those. 
that hmm, how many like guys administer a rapid test? <laughs> oh, dude, so many. Like I don't even know how. I probably had like almost ten since getting here in January, or like to get here and then getting here in January. Yeah. Wow. And wow. Yeah. They're, they're the real deal. Like they're like you know that tickle the memories of grade three back there, and yeah, both nostrils. It's every time you go in. Is it the same protocol from like what it was at the end of last year too, or is it is it a little bit more relaxed? Yeah, so the protocol for um, I think I don't know if it's ECI or we've it's what we've adopted, but um, we do six days out and then three days out, um, and then to travel home. Oh, well, like if you're flying, a lot of times you kind of test the day before you done the race or something like this. Like at Turkey, they test the day before you flew home for like a one week stage race. If there's travel involved, like Turkey did have. You know, you're doing three tests in a matter of like 10 days. And the race organized that, is that kind of how it works? Mm. To fly home, yeah. Because they, um, but that was only because they're, I mean, everybody had to travel there, I think. But that's, right. I don't, I think otherwise it's kind of on you to get it done privately and stuff like that. Huh. And how's that, is that whole thing going pretty smooth or is like ample clinics? Yeah. yeah I mean, we, we have a clinic here in Toronto we have an account with. So we just walk in, they pretty much know us by name at this point. Um, it's super easy. Regulars. Like, yeah these dummies yep all right we'll take your money thank you very much <laughs> see you folks see you later do you want but, the deep uh, tickle or the light tickle today <laughs> it's actually like oh, one yeah. of my like, nice experiences i don't talk to too many people here so it's it's good that's your social time <laughs> yeah it's funny so, 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 uh, so you're getting you're, you're coming out of this uh this uh shingles problem and and uh you know like all cyclists you got your eyes set on the the next prize right so tell us a little bit about what you're you're looking forward to uh next and and what's that build-up going to look like i mean obviously you got to get healthy and kind of let your body get over this but then uh i've heard you have some pretty good plans actually for uh some some <laughs> good uh volume training coming up and uh and then what's yeah, your next yeah. objective yeah so i mean First and foremost, get healthy. Um, that's been kind of derailing my main plan of just frigging off into the sticks and like doing a little bit of a bike back and adventure, to be honest. Kind of like, I don't know, with I was already thinking about it during Catalonia and it's like the timing just like never worked well. Like I was just too buckled. All these races are so hard. I just actually like, the time I want to rest, it's like I can't really go and do hundreds of kilometer like bike packing trips that kind of like reset the balance. But I think now that's kind of like it's just it's such an easy way for me to like get in the work because like you do these days and they're like you know 200 plus k with like anywhere from two to five thousand meters of elevation like they're just massive days and like yeah they're like seven to like 10 hours of riding but it's also seven to 10 hours of riding and the mitochondria production you get from that is just insane like it's not exactly a waste of time um especially like after something like this, like you don't need to do intensity. In fact, that's the worst thing I think I could do right after um, this, but just getting in some like big days in the bike. And also like to me doing a six, seven, 10 hour bike ride isn't like, obviously it's physically stressful per se, but it doesn't have that same mental stress as like, you know, four times 10 minutes of 40, 20 is VO two, three by four minutes, blah, 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 blah. Like also the crap. Couldn't they do anything more. Like, yeah couldn't agree more so i'm hoping it's like all this stuff keeps getting shuffled um and obviously i don't grab like over here so that's a bit of a bit of a pickle but um yeah like otherwise like that's kind of the jam it's like get out there um whether or not it's sleeping at like um inns or airbnbs because they're quite plentiful over here 
or like I've got my, you know, tent and baby kind of do it old school with uh, my stove and stuff. But uh, for me, um, especially over the last couple of years and last year in particular, that's become kind of a pretty important thing is to just have that balance. And I know the team doesn't really like it, but it's, it's like, Fine. I guess it's minded. <laughs> if i did if i did it on a mountain bike i think it'd be okay but on a, on a gravel bike i think that's a problem but uh yeah so it's 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 really important to me and i, I don't think i don't see it like ever hindering my performance it's only ever like helped me get through a season because i think at this point in my career if i'm not happy i go just crack and blow out and like it'll be pretty hard to fix at that point yeah, I think that's a really important thing for for people to remember that are trying to get through a season. You know, like you, those super intense moments where you're trying to prep and and get totally dialed for whatever objective. I mean, there's only only so many bullets for something like that. And if, like Rob said, if you're not happy, man, you just you're just gonna blow yourself out, and you can waste a month just being miserable and and overtrained and and totally buggered. And I think doing something like kind of trying to find a way to make training fun like that, I think it's the key. I know for myself, it was the same bloody thing. Um, I got so much satisfaction out of doing that kind of stuff. And I'm always excited to hear about your adventures, Rob. So yeah, what <laughs> like um, in, in that volume buildup, right? I mean, I, I personally, it, you know, a lot of teams might frown upon that and just think, oh, it's just wasted miles and all that stuff. But one of the things I found riding through the Pyrenees, like I'm, I'm assuming your routes are going to take, um, you just let the contour of the land do the job. And quite often in those big days, eight, 10 hours, like you said, you're something strange happens where, yeah, you're not necessarily going race pace or, or the level that you, you need to be preparing for, but you are tapping into something else. And I found that like physiologically things start to change after that seventh hour and you know quite often you're you're you might be at seven hours in and you're starting to do a climb that's a thousand meters you know and so you know you're going to be on that sucker for well depends how hard it is but you know hour plus and uh definitely maybe even two hours and you know it's hot and you're just getting all these adaptations and i just fe feel like it's a it's a really cool thing to to get into so yeah, it's it's great to hear that's that's your plan. And what is that exactly building up for? What's what's your goal there? Yeah, so um, we kind of have to do a bit of a shuffle, and it kind of worked out well. Uh, we have just enough guys for a double roster, but we had uh, Dunkirk got postponed or canceled. They can't uh, one of the two. It's not happening when it was supposed to. So now those fellas are out of race days. Having a spot open up, I pulled out of Algarve, which was disappointing because I, I really wanted to, a the parkour suit me quite well um and b i just was like stoked to go back to the algarve like it's just a beautiful place in portugal like every time i go there i just think of like other stuff i could do on my bike there but i mean seeing more of it is always like you know pretty cool but so now out of algarve i'll do there's a again like races that were supposed to happen in february it was like the america challenge races there's four one-day races there so i'll go down there and probably do two three or four of those which would be great they're really nice races pretty low stress-ish, go back up the altitude, probably up to Andorra. And then the main goal will be Tour Swiss in early June, which will be second time doing that race. And then nice. back home to Canada for two-week uh, two week quarantine and then three weeks of yeah home time with friends and family and all that jazz. 
can reset for the second half of the season. It's been pretty complicated, eh? Like you guys trying to balance the race calendar this year with all the, you know, especially the the place where the team is and renegotiating races, I guess, eh? Mm-hmm. Like so, your Baker programs changed plenty. Yeah, so our, our plans changed for sure, and it like it got pretty crazy there for a hot minute, where it's like we're running like double, almost triple rosters, which is like not impossible. Yeah, there was a minute where we were doing like Turkey and then Perry Camembert. And then the very next day, Volta Valenciana started. So we're like trying to like figure out how we could do, like these guys are going to fly overnight and start like, blah, blah. It's, just, it's just insane. And then May was like, okay, I was looking at it, trying to think of how I was going to get ready for Swiss. Cause that's again, kind of like a major target for us. And I'm like, okay, so we have like, I think Astorius or like Arabida or something in Portugal. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong, but you know, like either a one day or a three day, then an Algarve, then the Mallorca races and then Ruta del Sol and then Mercia and then like Swiss. And I'm like, this is like 20 days of racing and then Swiss. I don't know if you saw at Catalonia, but like, I don't know. I just think I need to have more prep time or something. I, I think I'll probably die if I do this. So I was getting pretty worried. I'm like, you know, some of these stages are pretty high at like Swiss. Like it'd be good to go to altitude, but then I don't think we got Ruta del Sol and they like, it worked out that it's actually like a really good, really good program. Like, I'm bummed to not be doing Algar for like a couple of different reasons. Like, I think it would have just been like another stepping stone to get ready for Swiss. Cause I think I'll still, even if everything goes right, it's like, I'll still be kind of behind the eight ball a bit, but like more than like more than able to help the fellas. But I don't think I'll be at my absolute best just with basically eight days of racing or seven days of racing in my legs or 10 days of racing in my legs for the whole season in Swiss. So, but uh, tour Swiss, you had a, you had a great ride there in, um, 2019 yeah 2019 for a lot of people that might not know you know tour swiss is one of the the big hit outs before the tour de france and you have you know you either have guys doing um dauphine or the tour swiss and these are places where the gc guys are just going absolutely all out they're kind of showing what they have and they'll they'll generally pick a stage you know to to really go mental on in this uh in this case we had a final stage you know like I must have been stage eight or nine, Rob. Yeah, it was it was the final stage, so I think it's final. eight days. Yeah, final stage. Yes, so everyone's feeling the fatigue, you know. Everyone's pretty pretty buggered, and this is a a stage that basically started right out of the blocks, and it was three climbs, was it not, Rob? Three monster passes. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's either three cow ones or three HCs or some variation of the two, but uh, yeah, yeah, I think <laughs> a horse category. And then like two cat ones or yeah, a mix of that. Anyways, Rob, you, you ended up 10th out of that day. I mean, for me, that's a stage that's just built for a guy like you. I mean, <laughs> you, you basically out of the, out of the blocks, you're just going like a mountain time trial, right? I mean, the, the nature of that race is just blew apart right from the gun and you just rode your pace. And I think that was like, uh, really showed the, the kind of strength um, that you've built all these years, right? Uh, tell us a little bit about that that stage because I just feel like, I don't know, I, I raced a lot of crazy tours in, in my time. And for myself, I always dreaded those those kinds of stages. <laughs> but, you know, like that was a really special result, I think, for, for yourself. And it kind of showed, you know, that you're capable of hanging with these guys, these these top climbers. Yeah, it was, oh, thanks for that. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, uh, 
Yeah, it was late in the race, but like you say, we were going for breaks most days, so it's like I had the deck kind of stacked in my favor a bit. Like we had a time trial the day before, which like I went followed on, but I was getting better and better as the race was going on and feeling quite good actually by the last day. And I really wanted to get in the break. And it's frustrating because like I was actually in the group with like Hugh Carthy who went on to go solo and it's like looking back and I had like this is how you're like never satisfied as a rider, but like looking back, um, I was like right there and it's like drop the chain and then like you guys know it's like occasionally like when chains drop on these bikes they get really jammed in there and they kind of become part of the infrastructure of the drivetrain. So uh <laughs> yeah, it was uh that was frustrating Sweet to say the very least. But um yeah. yeah, so that was like pretty much like three K into this and uh so by the time I was done like finagling with the uh you know drivetrain and negotiating with the powers to be that I nearly needed this bike to work. I was basically in com one, which at that start was not a good thing. And then there was already six groups in the road. So that was in that first climb, you could see up the switchbacks, right? So you could see how yeah. far everyone was and it, they look close, but they might be three switchbacks up at that point, which is a frig of a long way. <laughs> yeah. I was coming around a bend and I was like, Oh, Okay. And I, I just started going through groups and going through groups. And then finally got into like the lead group and the, you know, the break was up the road with uh, Hugh and his band of merry men um, at that point. And they were just like on a mission. I think he ended up riding solo for most of it actually. Yeah. And the rest of the day was, it was quite good. Like it was just, like you say, just sort of this like uncomfortable, like um, sky or Enios. I don't know what they're called at the time, but uh, they're just doing their thing, which actually is like, for me, amazing. Like it's just a nice, steady, hard tempo, especially on the climbs. It's beautiful. Um, the descents are always controlled. They don't try to do crazy stuff like Movistar and like instead of dropping on the climb, they drop you on the descent and everywhere else. So it's like nice. And then on the last climb, it's like if like they really start to turn the screws, right? As they do. And like I think Rowan Dennis is actually on a pretty good day there as well. So him and Bernal were duking it out up front and the rest of the field I think was like collateral damage and I ended up coming in kind of like in the second group. Like there was the, yeah, the main crew guys up the road. And then I was in the next group and kind of beat all of them in the like sprint at the finish. So yeah, kind of ended up being a pretty good day at the end of it all. So that was cool. Like nice. being in that kind of company was pretty humbling. Yeah. I mean, you look around at that, that, that top 10, right. And it's, it's a lot of the big names of the tour de France, right. And anytime that is, that's just no easy feat, right. That's a massive kind of, uh, no matter what you do in cycling from this point on, I think that's something you can always look at pretty proudly. You were up there with the, you know, the biggest names, you know, the biggest climbers and on a, on one of the hardest stages that I can think of in, in the past years. And so, you know, like I like I mentioned in uh, the little intro there, you're a guy always referenced to as like someone who who could have quit many times, faced a lot of struggles. Uh, I remember coming across you in uh, in Girona. You were riding for the UK based rally team, <laughs> and I think you had oh, just yeah. cracked being up there in the in the bloody rain and the you know just that crit riding and all that stuff. And you came down to Girona and you're enjoying that sunshine and and the sweet roads and all that stuff and. I remember talking to you and just going like, geez, yeah, like it's a struggle sometimes, this bloody sport. And, um, you know, I think back to when I first met you um, would have been when when I was racing on Symmetrics. And I don't think 
maybe you were a fan of me at all. And, and uh, I think we were pretty brutal to a lot of the local guys in that sense because we'd show up with 12 or 14 guys, however many we had. And, and Randy, I don't know if you were racing much against Rob in those years. I think maybe you Randy knew us against the world. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> we we were the only ones trying to fucking put up a fight to you guys. Then I went to the dark side, though. Yeah. Well, I mean that that I think that's the point that I was trying to get across is like you saw the attitude of the guys who made it were the ones that kept trying, right? And so it's one thing to show up at a race, and and I'm not saying that was great what we did on symmetrics or whatever, but we were just doing what we were doing. We were a team. There was a race. Fourteen of us showed up. We're going to take advantage of that, right? <laughs> that's the nature of the beast. But what I'm saying is what, what I've noticed over those years is the guys who made it were the ones who kept fighting. So, like, you're totally outnumbered. The nature of road racing is such that, like, you can only go so many times. Um, and I remember you, Rob, standing out as a guy who just kept giving her. And you would actually put the hurt on a lot of our guys. You would you would blow a lot of our team out to the point, like, where it was, you know, you were a guy we always talked about. And I guess... What I'm trying to build here is that was just part of your mentality through all this struggle and this time it takes to to get to that friggin' Tour de Swiss result. Tell us a bit about that pathway because, you know, it's something I talk to these these younger kids about and it's like, it's years and years of that struggle that, you know, the, the, the things you had to go through to make it to that point are really something. And, and, and then not only that, to make it in North America and win of a bunch of North America's biggest races like you did with tour of Utah stages at tour of California. These are all like really big things that you think, okay, I'm set now. I'm going to go to Europe and do the next progressive steps, but maybe tell us a bit about that progression from, you know, going from North America to Europe. So I know it's a long question, but it's definitely something I wanted to get in with you, uh, on this chat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> fucking symmetrics. Oh man. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> In the days and weeks of my life that I lost there, but uh, now it's like I think my whole life I've always been kind of the underdog, and like I don't mean like oh it's, it's an underdog story. It's just it just is what it is. Like I grew up like in Saskatchewan. Like there's no, never been like a professional male road racer to come out of Saskatchewan. So there's no like road map. Like like most Canadian kids, right? There's no road map for this stuff. I mean, most people, there's no roadmap for being a professional cyclist in Canada, period. But I was like... But but I think Saskatchewan I mean, I, adds an extra notch to that belt, you know, of like the making one more step. I think it seems like a difficult place to do what you did, to come out of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like being an, like an altitude climbing specialist for stage races coming from Saskatchewan definitely doesn't make a lot of sense, like, <laughs> physiologically. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so... I grew up and I was, I mean, just like any other teenager, like I was pretty angry at the world, but maybe I had like a chip on my shoulder, uh, in addition to that. Um, you know, and I was like, man, I was shitty. I was so bad when I started. And I always say this, like, and I, and I struggle with how I want to like kind of communicate that to like kids starting up. Cause at a certain point you got to like cut your losses or right? you don't dedicate this like struggle till you're like 31, like <laughs> at a certain point, maybe, you know, best in the stock market or something. But, um, yeah, I was really, really bad, um, in Sask. And I mean that in like the most basic sense, like I was dead last. I was like a minute or two off of dead last when I was starting out. Like I was not one of these protege kids that are like, Oh, wow, 
this guy's really could be something. It's like pretty much at every step of the way I had people telling me that I probably shouldn't do this or like, yeah, you didn't get selected for this. And like, you know, but it's like, I kept kind of inching towards it and then ended up like by the time I was like, so I started, I guess, racing in like grade eight. Yeah. Grade seven, grade eight, kind of. So like 12, 13, 14 junior kind of like U 17 days. And, uh, but the time I lost Saskatchewan, I was like one of the better riders across the board. Like, and again, this isn't saying much. No, just to Saskatchewan people, it's just we have a pretty shallow pool, especially back then. So it was, I moved up to BC and like, and I always kind of say it like, I missed or magooed my way into like this whole career path that I've ended up being fortunate to be in. Cause like, I just sort of like, I didn't have this, I was never this goal oriented guy. Like, I'm not gonna like, you know, I'm gonna, gonna win bc provincials and then i'm gonna win tour of utah and then you know i'm gonna win nationals and all these things like i'm a goal person that was never me it was never me i was always like okay just keep doing the work like keep i guess i was a guy who just really fell in love with the process and like really trusted the process just kept going at it working at it working at it and it all kind of like at the end of the day it worked out but like you know from saskatchewan went out to bc you know, started with Paxport, uh, you know, working on cruise ships, like construction stuff, <laughs> like, you know, coffee shops, like working a part-time job, like to be able to race during the summer, um, you know, go into just crazy debt to try to like live this, you know, quote unquote bike racer dream, um, hoping that maybe I have a shot, started winning some races and like as bad as it was getting my head kicked in like week week in week out against like you guys um like symmetrics and stuff it's also like it's just trial by fire right like you get better by doing that like i mean i was too dumb to quit and just just stubborn enough to like yeah keep going and it just i just kept showing up each week and like i loved riding my bike and racing my bike so much that this is all i wanted to do and i was living like it's like copyrighted now, like living my best life. But like, I was freaking loving it. I was poor as hell. So yeah, poor. simple. Like, life. Yeah. Like, you know, rents like $300 a month or $230 a month split with like four other dudes in this like janky, like, you know, affordable family living house. You know, I'm, there was a period where we were like living off of like, this is a true story, like living off of like bleach white pasta. My mom had mailed out to us. And like I always tell people, like why I came to oh, drink black mail, coffee. The old mail-in pasta trick, hey? Yeah, like <laughs> the freight would have cost more than the actual noodles. But like, honestly, it's like the reason why I drink black coffee is because like we were so broke that like we couldn't afford to like buy milk or sugar. So eventually, those two things ran out. But one of our roommates, my like really close friend Taylor, worked at Starbucks, so he was like the breadwinner. So he'd bring home like like part of his like deal with Starbucks is you get a pound or two of coffee a week. So we'd always have like, you know, at the time this is like gourmet coffee. So we're having like nice coffee every day, <laughs> but eventually like all the stuff that it went with the coffee, like the milk and sugar, you know, ran out. So like the that's fancy why I drink stuff. Black yeah. Coffee now. And sugar so, get you every time. And then, yeah, eventually this, that, and the other, uh, I think maybe, Tom Zerbel got signed to Garmin and Kirk O'B had a positive test. And all of a sudden there was space on Bissell and I got my first chance to race, uh, race professionally. And then kind of, you know, the struggle didn't stop there. And, <laughs> you know, eventually worked my way onto rally and it's been pretty sweet. Um, yeah. Being part of this program now, like doing some of the races we've done and having this, like obviously the most successful 
seasons of uh, my career um, by far have been on this team. So, uh, and just like having the opportunity to like, yeah, show up to races like Tour de Suisse or both the Catalonia, you know, this year spending the season in Europe. Like these are, these are things like, I don't think I ever could have like imagined growing up like as a kid in Saskatchewan, but this is like kind of the dream. I wanted to be like a pro bike racer and like be part of the national team and, you know, be a national champion at a certain point became part of it. And like, but at no point that I have this roadmap of like, okay, this is, you know, I got to hit these milestones and this Watts per kilo. And like, you know, I should be about here. It's like, I just did it. And it just kind of worked out. I like it. I like that perspective though, because it, it, it's a long road as you know. And if you're like hell bent on those objectives and like having to tick this stuff off, you might just end up cracking yourself. I know that's how it was for myself, you know? And I think like looking at, um, one, one of the things we always try and talk about, or we, we really want to delve into on this podcast is, is just like, what were those, those special moments, like where that turned for you? You know, like you said, you hit rally and then you had your best years and you started pulling these big results at North American races. And I'm always curious, like in your mind, what was that the accumulation of, right? Like you, you'd kind of struggled all this time and now you started putting it together. Was, was it just like, you know, peak physiology, uh, mentally putting things together, the training all coming together. What were the things that for you really stood out? If you were trying to like talk to a younger guy who was kind of coming into the, you know, the better years of his career, uh, what would you share in the, in that, what, in those experiences that you learned there? Yeah. So for me, um, I mean, the turning point was actually a couple of years before rally. Um, when I came back from the UK, I signed with uh, smart stop, who's ah, yeah. Uh, yeah. director was uh, Michael Creed. So I kind of skipped over that part. So I signed a smart stop. And then I remember um, taking a risk, not a risk, but like cheap, cheap guy. And I was head coaching for free. So, but I started working with uh, Chris Baldwin. And so I started working with Chris and started racing under Mike Creed. And with Chris's training, um, it just really clicked with me. And my body, it like took to it really well. And I just started seeing these gains all of the time, like each race, each year. And it was just such a long process. And Chris always reminded me of that. And then with Mike, Mike kind of put me in this like leadership role pretty early on in the team and to take responsibility for that and really be like the guy to deliver and have the pressure of that, but also like the confidence that I could do it. And um, that really changed my mindset that I was actually not just like some schmuck who could like, you know, ride the front group. I could actually win from the front group. So my confidence really grew there. And then on rally, it's, it was a bit of a different it's a bit of a different mindset or a bit of a different culture. So I had to like adjust for that. But it's like at this point, like my physiological trajectory had been changed so dramatically from the two years on Sparta Stop that uh, we kind of like had this formula, Chris and I, how to get like prepared, especially for like stage races and especially for altitude stage races where I have like a particular strength at. And we just started like copying and pasting. Uh, you know, adding a bit more, tweaking it here and there. And we just had so much trust in this, like I say, this process, like doing the work. And it's just, it's not like a week's worth of workouts. And it's not this one workout. If you miss a day, it, didn't, it doesn't freaking matter. But it was like, that we've been doing it for years and years. And it's just like, it's so simple. Like, it's not that difficult. We don't do the fanciest, newest stuff. It's like, we just try to do the basic stuff really, really well. And when it gets down to crunch time, it's like, you really watch your diet, you know, you do all the like 
it's basic stuff. It's like, you know, going to the sauna to be heat out, like adapted, like doing altitude, but like being smart about it, not trying to like trying new stuff before like a target race, all of these kind of things. So it's like a lot of kids, they get so wrapped up and I can feel bad for them because I never had Instagram to compare myself to the best riders in the world all of the time. Like we had it, but it's like, it wasn't like, you know, I didn't compare like my value to the human race based off of how many Instagram followers I had or like, what, like, do I have a chance of being pro based off of like what my FTP is or like my power to weight ratio is like, I just kind of glad I didn't know any of that stuff. Like, it's just like, it's overwhelming. Like, man, do you feel yeah. bad for these kids? Cause then you see like the best riders in the world now are like, they barely hit puberty, man. If I, like, when I think back to what I was doing when I was 20 years old, like there's certainly a lot more beer and girls involved in involving girls, but there's a lot more beer and there's a lot less structure. And I'm pretty sure I had a heart rate that told me just heart rate. And it was You're always on both of the Polish guy. <laughs> I mean, there was that too. So yeah, it's like, I, I, I struggle with the young guys because I don't stuff has changed so much in like my timeline in the sport. And when I started and how old I was and all this stuff, like it's almost like a whole different world now. Like, and everything is just so focused and everything has to be so perfect all of the time for them to think they're making any progress. And it's like, I kind of wonder if they even, some of these guys, like if they even enjoy it or if it's just like, it's just a thing like bike racing allowed me to do and see more than I ever could have imagined in my whole life. Like when I was 17 years old or whatever, as a kid in like Regina, Saskatchewan in like a high school that like, you know, you don't really fit into because nobody in high school does. It's like, I certainly didn't peak in high school. That's for sure. Like my life has only gotten better since I like grew up, moved away. And like, yeah, it's like, and I've got to do it all. in like, essentially someone else's dime. This is like living a wildest dream. And mm-hmm. I don't know what, you do now and you're like you know you're 17 years old and you're like oh well i gotta be able to do 7.5 watts per kilo for 15 minutes and you know have to be three percent body fat all the time and you can have 10 days off a year and like that sounds horrible (laughs) yeah i i couldn't agree more man i think that's um that's really important stuff you're saying there like uh, i i don't know how sustainable it is for the majority and the problem is we're seeing a lot of these young guys in the world tour we're seeing kind of the genetic anomalies the guys who can handle it at that age and then are so good they're not obsessed maybe with the social media side of things but i feel like the ones who are not at that level can get into some real bad spirals you know and i i think it's you know i think it's great that cycling is changing because i think things always need to change and evolve but what you're saying really resonates for me just as far as what I think most people, young young riders, should be looking at as it's a long-term thing. And the fact that you, you actually get to focus on something like this is so beautiful and fantastic. And then, like you said, coming from small town in Saskatchewan, to do all of the things that you've done in your career, the places you've traveled and seen, you have to be able to enjoy that. And it's, you know, it's hard and it's all those things, but I think uh, that's a really important take home from from this chat is just that. So yeah, man, thank you for uh, for chatting with us today. That's been it's been awesome, and I, I think we could we could go into a lot more stories about uh, what made Rob Britton Rob Britton. But yeah, I think that 
gives people a, a really nice uh, picture of who you are. And thanks for taking the time, bud, and and uh, keep us posted on your uh, your travels in the next little while. I'm excited to see where uh, where you head. We're good. Thanks, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this summer I'm gonna take uh, maybe Randy or you and Randy out to uh, oh yeah, Chilcotin. Yeah, that's right. We're, We're looking go forward to that. July. Yeah. Boom, out there. Yeah, mm-hmm. looking forward to that. Yeah, we need you to come along because. I don't think Randy and I are either capable of fighting off a bear. And I heard, I heard oh, you please. fought off a bear with your bare hands. Oh, please. You killed the bear with your bare hands? Is that true? <laughs> Twice. I have the I have the skin at my house. No. Yeah, I actually don't know what stories to believe anymore myself. They've been embellished so much. I'm starting to believe that too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That time. The bears. Bro. Yeah. So Wayne and I were out. Uh, this week, and we actually saw. Well, for me, it was the first bears of the year. We saw three. They yeah, were, that's they right. They were a ways away, so we were safe. But yeah, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, huh? you forget like BC wildlife, bad black bears, three of them. Ah! There was <laughs> there was a subdivision just a couple hundred meters away. So yeah, that's that's very BC. I feel. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. We, uh, I mean, I would like to see a grizzly just like from the other side of a valley. Like, other side of a, a, a big river a raging river yeah yeah like kind of like just be able to see like oh look over there it's like oh no i think that may be some rocks it's like if you really squint you can see it it's like oh those are grizzly bears it's like okay cool let's go somewhere else now i'll, I'll find you some photos send them your way <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's close enough yeah yeah i'm stoked for uh stoked this summer but obviously like some sit on goals but like obviously like i the goal is always to be in the best conditions possible doing these big races because otherwise you just don't survive. But um, yeah, like pretty stoked for my time at home. Obviously, like Swain, you know, and like Randy, you're living in it as well. It's like BC is such a special place. And you, you appreciate it. Every time you're away from me, you always appreciate it more when you come back. So I'm pretty stoked for some kind of like condensed adventures when I'm back home for a little break in uh, you know June, July. And then, yeah, this fall, keep on keeping on. Nice. But uh, nice man, yeah. Everybody. yeah. Looking forward to seeing in person, bud. Yeah. yeah, me too. All right, thanks everyone for listening in. We hope you enjoyed that podcast with Rob Britton. If you want to check out what we're doing, up to date with uh, toughcamps.com. It's uh, it's a website where we we have uh, listed our events coming up this summer. So, all right, take care.